Well, once again, Cedar Street, I love you very much. And it's a joy to be in God's house as we open up God's Word. And we are in the book of Jonah. We've had an interesting journey here in the book of Jonah. We're now in our seventh week as we journey into chapter number four. You probably didn't know there was that much to look at with the book of Jonah. It's a lot more than just being in the belly of the great fish. Uh, But as we open up chapter four, the title of our message today is The Anatomy of an Angry Prophet. The Anatomy of an Angry Prophet. And before I I get to uh, the point in our sermon where we have something to think about, I just want to say real quickly, there's been these themes that have been coming up over and over and over again, not only in the book of Jonah, but also throughout the scriptures. All right, we see disobedience. All right, we see disobedience with the nation of Israel. We certainly see disobedience with Jonah. Then we see repentance, and then we see mercy. Disobedience, repentance, and mercy. And not only is that the story of Jonah's walk here in this book, but it's also the story of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And if we're being honest with ourselves... It's the story of who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. We've wandered and strayed away from a holy God, but He's also a loving and merciful God. And so when disobedience leads to repentance, there's also unspeakable mercy. And again, that's a part, partly why we've included repentance and confession as part of our worship service, because mercy is always there. It's always offered. It's a gift that God desires to give, but it comes with the price tag of repentance. It comes with the price tag of confession. It comes with the price tag of being able to stand before a holy God and admit that we fall short. And that's not easy for us as human beings to do. It's just not. And that's the shocking thing about what happened in last week's message when we see this evil city, the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, the sworn enemies of the Jews. They hear this message. They hear this message from Jonah and they repent. They confess that they're evil and they engage in this ancient this ancient tradition of putting on sackcloth and ashes. They put on sackcloth, they put on this very irritable, very difficult, very uncomfortable material, and they sit in the ashes of burnt wood, and they just confess their evil, and they beg God for mercy. And we know that as God used Jonah to give the message, God had already gone before Jonah to prepare their hearts and their minds to receive that message. And so now we get to where we are here in chapter 4, where they have repented, and now Jonah is angry he's angry and so as i like to start each and every one of our messages off with i've got something for us to think about okay and and here's what i want us to think about here this morning when do you believe that your anger is acceptable to god when do you believe in your life that your anger is acceptable to god i want us to think about that as we walk into the passage here because let's face it anger is an emotion And God designed this as one of the emotions that give us the full human experience. And so we know that anger in some respects does come from God, but there's certain ways that we can be angry that bless God and certain ways that we can be angry that don't. All right, we're seeing Ephesians chapter 4, God tells us, be angry but do not sin. And we also see an example in the Gospels, in the book of John chapter 2, we see an example of Jesus Christ who was angry without sinning. All right? When we think about Jesus, we think about him as the, the Prince of Peace, but we also see this story in the Gospels in John chapter 2 where Jesus shows up on the scene at his father's house, the temple in Jerusalem, and he walks in there and is, he cannot believe what he sees with his own eyes. He, they've turned it into a marketplace. 
All right, they've got the sheep and they've got the pigeons and they've got the goats and they've got the money changers and they're, they're in there in the temple and a place of worship and they've turned it into a marketplace. And Jesus has what we call righteous indignation. He's angry for the holiness of his father. And the Bible says that he storms into the temple with a whip of cords and he drives out the animals and he drives out the money changers and he flips the tables upside down. Anytime that we talk about Jesus as a man of grace and truth, it seems like sometimes we lean so much on grace, but we forget that Jesus is also truth. And when that truth and that holiness of God is violated, he responds in anger. And when Jesus is angry, it is righteous because we know in him there was no sin. No sin whatsoever. And so if Jesus is angry, that tells us that our emotion of anger can sometimes be a righteous feeling. It can be a righteous emotion. But here's the problem. If we had to evaluate when we're angry the most, all right, typically when we get angry, it's a response to the things that we love the most being violated or threatened. And if we're being honest with ourselves, it comes down to one word, and that's pride. If I'm confessing to you, even in the last week of my life, okay, even in the last week of my life, some things that I've gotten angry or frustrated over, even if it's just anger to myself where I don't express it outwardly, but inwardly my heart is not right with the Lord, most of the time it's because my own pride has gotten violated. Somebody has threatened my pride or my reputation by something they've said or done, and that's not a righteous response to anger. That's not a righteous response to anger. And as we look at the book of Jonah, chapter 4, we are going to see an angry prophet. And on the outside, as we analyze why it is that he's angry, I believe that we're going to see as human beings, we would say that he's justified in his anger. But when we look at this through the lens of Scripture and the eyes of God himself, we'll see why his anger is just not acceptable for the kingdom of God. So, what's the big idea? What do I want us to see and think about as we open up Jonah chapter 4? Well, our anger always reveals our greatest love. So when we get angry over God's blessings of others, we are actually revealing a greater love for ourselves than for God's kingdom. A greater love for ourselves than for God's kingdom. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Jonah. Again, we are going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. If you do not have a Bible... Your pew Bible's in front of you. You can turn to page 921 in your pew Bibles. And if you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Again, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4 and reading verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we love you, and we do thank you and praise you for this day that you have made. Father, help us as we open up your word and consider the truth that you have revealed to us in Jonah chapter 4. Father, we know much like the prophet, we respond in anger to things that do not please you, 
A lot of time it's pride, Father. And I pray that you help all of us, myself included, as we consider the truth here, to know the times that we get angry that bless you and the times that do not bless you. And help us, Father. Help us to be men and women of God who always respond in ways that bring you the most honor and glory. And so where we have fallen short, please forgive us. And where we now open up your word, please help us. Help us to understand and help us to respond in a way that would honor you. Be with us at this time, Father, as we drink deeply of your word. These things we pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we know we've got an angry prophet. And there's three things specifically about Jonah's anger that I want us to look at here today. And the reason why is this. I believe that we can relate to what Jonah's going through in our lives, no matter where we've been or what we've done, in some way, shape, form, or fashion. We can relate to this type of anger. And I want us to see it from a biblical perspective. So number one, I want us to see as we look back at the text here, the cause of Jonah's anger. The cause of Jonah's anger. Look with me back at the text here in verses 1 through 2. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So what is the cause of Jonah's anger? Again, if you haven't been here in a few weeks or if you're here for the first time, if you've never read the book of Jonah, let me give you just a quick 60-second recap. All right? Jonah is a Hebrew prophet. And God goes right to Jonah and says, I want you to go to your sworn enemy, the Ninevites, and I want you to tell them to repent of their evil and their sin. And Jonah said, I'm not doing it. Because if I go and I preach repentance, they may actually repent. And I don't want my enemies to be blessed. And so he did what we do when we're in sin. He tried to run from the presence of the Lord. But he learned what we learn when we're in sin. That you cannot run from God's presence. And so as he pays the fare to get on a ship to go to Tarshish, all of a sudden... On the ship, there's this amazing storm, and they're, they're at risk for their lives, and the mariners who are aboard the ship are praying to all these foreign gods. They're asking, why is this storm happening? They cast lots, which means basically in a Hebrew tradition, they roll dice to see who it is that's responsible, and the dice lands on Jonah. And they know it's Jonah's fault. And Jonah says, why don't you just throw me into the water? I'm the reason that this has happened. Just toss me overboard. I'm the reason why. The sea will calm if you just would do that. And they they did not listen. They did not want to throw him overboard. So they try to row against the storm the very best that they can. And they can't do it. They cannot thwart the will of God. And so finally, when they have no other recourse, Jonah goes overboard. And as we see in Jonah chapter 2, God in his great grace and mercy presents a great fish. And the fish swallows Jonah, and he is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. We show that historically this actually happened. All right, Jesus Christ himself makes reference to it in the Gospels. So it is a story that we can believe in its historicity. We can believe that it actually happened. And in the belly of the fish, he realizes the the grace and the mercy of God, and he calls out to God this psalm of thanksgiving, this psalm of praise. And then he says to God, what you told me to do, now that you've given me a second chance, I'm going to make good of my vows, and I'm going to do it. 
And so God, in another act of grace, enables that big fish to get in shallow enough water that he can spew Jonah out onto dry land. Jonah gets back on dry land, and God says a second time, go and do what I told you to do. So that's what Jonah does. The second time, he makes a beeline right to Nineveh, this big city. And in, in, in a city that would typically take three days' journey to get through it, in the first day, he walks right into the city. He starts screaming, repent, repent, repent. And the people start listening and they start repenting. Last week we saw a decree from the king himself. The king of Nineveh, the king of the most evil nation at the time, feels the weight and understands the importance of the message. God has prepared his heart and his mind. He fears the Lord. He fears for his life. He fears for the nation. And he repents. And he sends a decree to the rest of the people. You must repent as well. And they do. And the last verse that we read... At the end of chapter 3, I'll go right back to it. Okay, the last verse that we read said in verse 10, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. So chapter after chapter, we're seeing this unbelievable mercy and grace that God is offering. But now we see a, a reaction from Jonah that teaches us that his heart had never really changed when he was in the belly of the fish. Because we see at the beginning of verse 4, it says, but it, meaning the reaction that God had, the mercy and the relenting of disaster, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And that leads us to verse 2. And this is the single most important verse of the entire book of Jonah. If you miss Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, you miss the whole purpose of the fish. You miss the whole purpose of the entire book. Let me read it, and then we'll talk about it. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This is Jonah, the book of Jonah in a nutshell, this verse. That God is a God of love. And God is a God of mercy. And God is slow to anger. And God is abounding in steadfast love. And He offers those things to the world. Now, why is this so hard for Jonah to understand? Well, you gotta, we have to put ourselves in his perspective for just a moment. Okay, Jonah is part of the nation of Israel. As we understand in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is God's chosen nation. They are His adopted children. They are holy and set apart. And God gives them the law and He holds them to higher expectations. But He gives them the greatest of all blessings. He gives them salvation. He gives them grace. He gives them mercy. And it could get to a point where Jonah has gotten to where he does not want to share that blessing with the rest of the world who is not living under the law the way that he is and the way that his nation is. But we need to understand this, and we know this especially as Christians because we have an entire second part of the book. We've got the New Testament that fulfills the Old Testament. Here's what we know. We know that God chose a nation unto himself, not to play favorites, but that through Israel, he wanted always, his plan since the very beginning was not to play favorites, but through Israel to bless the rest of the world. Because it was through this nation that his son, the Messiah, would come, right? And as we think about the most important, or not the most important, but the most popular passage in the New Testament, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. So it was always God's intention because of his amazing grace and his abounding mercy and steadfast love and slow to anger. It was always his intention to bless the world. Yet Jonah did not want the mercy to extend beyond the nation of Israel. And as we'll talk about here in a minute, in some ways as human beings, we could say it's understandable until we see it the way God wants us to see it. But here's what I want to point at here in verses 1 through 2. There's two parallel themes that are really ironic here. First theme is mercy. I want us to think about this. In chapter 2, Jonah is praising the Lord in the belly of the fish. Why? Because God is a God of mercy. In Jonah chapter 4, Jonah is angry. Why is he angry? Because God is a God of mercy. The same mercy that made him praise God in the belly of the fish in chapter 2 is the same mercy that's making him angry towards God in chapter 4. And that points towards pride. Jonah is saying, I want this mercy and I want this grace and I receive it with joy and thanksgiving that you have spared my life. You are worthy of my praise, O God, and I will do what you've called me to do. But then he goes and does it. God does exactly what he thought he was going to do. And what happens? He gives mercy to his sworn enemy, and Jonah gets angry. So you see this mercy, an interesting parallel with mercy, but let's also look at anger. All right? I mean, listen to this sentence. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger. God, or Jonah gets angry at a God because he's slow to anger. It sounds to me like Jonah has his mercy and his anger completely misplaced. Completely misplaced. Now, I believe that if we look at it the way Jonah looks at it, as human beings, we could say this is acceptable and understandable. But if we look at it the way God does it, we can't. So let me start with how human beings would look at this. Here's the best way I know how to explain this. Let's say for a moment you had a family member who was in the World Trade Center on 9-11. And that tower comes down and you lose family members because of it. And years later, God says to you, I want you to go to ISIS and preach repentance. And I want you to visibly witness how I give them grace, mercy, and blessing for what you do. You put that in our context, it feels a whole lot different, right? If you say, no, those are enemies, all right? I don't know about you, but on 9-11, I wasn't thinking about, man, I wish I, I hope I had the chance to go and preach the gospel to these people. You know, I, first of all, I wasn't a Christian then, but I can tell you what I was thinking, because most of you were thinking the same thing. Somebody get George W. on the phone, and let's go retaliate right now. They need to know, you don't mess with America. We're going right now. That's immediately how we felt. And from a political perspective, I'm not saying whether it's right or it's wrong. That's not the discussion. But what I am saying is this. Imagine that was your family. And you've got to stand before Islamic terrorists and preach the gospel. And then you have to witness them receive salvation and get eternal blessing despite what they've done to your family. Now you know how Jonah felt. Now you know how Jonah felt. It's understandable that he'd be as angry as he is. However, now I want us to see how God sees all of this. All right? Why is this not righteous indignation to God? Because as God looks at us, 
we are equally as sinful and as fallen as any other human being who's walked the face of the earth. That does not mean that we have the capacity to do ten levels of evil the way that an Islamic terrorist would be. But we also fall short of God's glory and His holiness. And we are equally as guilty. All right? James tells us, if you are guilty of even one jot or tittle of the law, you're guilty and you will not receive eternal life. And so we are as unworthy as the gift as, a, as an Islamic terrorist would be. And so as God looks at this, we're going to see this more next week as we bring this book to a conclusion. God is saying, what makes you think you're any more deserving of this mercy than they are? I know that you're, they're your enemy. I know they've made trouble for you. As we see in 2 Kings, the Assyrians come and they take 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel into exile. They take their land. They plunder their goods. They steal their families. God's still saying, I will show mercy on who I will show mercy. And you are not any more worthy of the mercy than they are. As I've shown it to you, so I will show it to them. It's hard for us to see anger and to see mercy and to see all these things the way that God does. Let me put this in another perspective before we move on to point two. I thought about this in my own life. How many times here have I said since August that I pray for our community to have revival? I pray all the time. Candler County would catch fire and we would see an amazing revival. But what if having revival in Candler County meant that every other church in Candler County grew but ours? What if having revival meant folks from this church felt led to go to another church and our church got smaller as other churches got bigger? How would, how, how would you feel? I, I'll be honest with you how I feel. If I'm being honest in the flesh as a human being, there's not a pastor worth his salt that doesn't want to see a, a congregation grow so he can have more people to minister to. But the way God sees it is, he's going to show his grace and his mercy on who he's going to show it to. And if God were to bless a revival in this community and other churches would grow and we would shrink, God would expect us to respond in praise because he's going to show mercy and grace on who he intends to show mercy and grace to. Amen? It's easy to read this in a book. It's hard to make application to this in our life. So number one, we've seen now here in verses one through two the cause of Jonah's anger. But let us look, number two, at the cries of Jonah's anger. Look at verse 3. Verse 3. There, now, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I want to say three quick things about what anger does in our lives when it's not of the Lord. Okay, because we see this example right here with Jonah. I believe first that anger blinds us to the truth. Here's the truth. Jonah has seen two unbelievable miracles in one calendar month. All right? He has seen God rescue him from the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And he has seen the most wicked nation on the planet come to repentance and faith in the one true God. He has seen two amazing miracles. I don't know about you, but I want to see God do miracles. I want to see God work. And he saw it. And when he saw it, his anger and his pride blinded him to the truth. That's what anger does to us. It clouds our judgment. It clouds our understanding of the truth. But not only that, it leads us to despair. When you're angry, it doesn't lead to good things. It just doesn't. The times that we're most susceptible to sin in our lives, when we're tired, when we're lonely, and when we're angry, and when we're hungry, let's be honest. And sometimes when we're hungry and angry, there's a new word called hangry. And that's, that's even worse. If you've ever seen somebody that's hangry, 
run. <laughs> run as fast as you can because that's an awful combination to have. But we know when we're angry, we're not thinking clearly. And it can lead us to despair. It can lead us to think, to see things in a way that they're not really there. And it can lead us to be in, have emotions in ways that God doesn't intend for us to have. Again, we said anger can be a righteous emotion if it's done in the right way. But when we are angry in a way that is ungodly and unrighteous, we will be caused to despair. And thirdly, I think that we can see through, through Jonah here, when we're angry in an ungodly way, that causes us to question and even reject God's plan. It causes us to, to completely reject the plan of God. I mean, God is telling Jonah, who are you to tell me who I can be merciful to and who I can't be? If God is sovereign and he is all wise and he is all good, then everything he says and does is for a good and greater purpose, for our good, for his glory. And we need to understand and trust in that plan. But when we're angry, we start to throw our fingers up at God. And we start to question, why are you doing this? Why did you bless the sworn enemy of my people? His anger could not let him see the universality of God's mercy and grace, how he wanted to bless the rest of the world. That leads us to number three, finally, the cautioning of Jonah's anger. The cautioning of Jonah's anger. Look back with me one last time here at verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Let me just say this real quickly. We see this all over the scriptures. One thing God does when he wants to get to our hearts is he questions us. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't lecture us. When God wants to get to your heart, he questions you. I mean, think about the book of Genesis, chapter 3, when the sin entered the garden. What did God do? He approached Adam and Eve and said, where were you? Who told you you were naked? Do you think God didn't know the answer to those questions? Of course he did. But he engaged with his people and he analyzed and got right to their hearts with these questions. Jesus does the same thing in the New Testament in the Gospels. When the Pharisees try to corner him, he responds with a question. And I said this last week, don't you do this in your own life? I know for me when I had a dog and I'd catch my dog uh, leaving me nice presents in the kitchen that should have been on the front lawn, how did I respond? Did you do that? Did you do that? Was I aware of what my dog did? Yes. But I wanted to get right to the heart of the issue. And that's what God does when he questions us. He gets right to our hearts. And he's pointing out Jonah's heart is not right because his anger comes from his pride. His anger comes from his pride. So how do we sum all this up as we draw to a close? I believe our anger over God's mercy is never acceptable in God's kingdom. So when we are tempted to complain about others' blessings, we must first consider our own salvation. We must first consider our own salvation. Again, if we measure ourselves by the standards of the world, all right, if Jonah's measuring himself by the evil of Nineveh, of course it would be wrong to think that God would bless a nation that's so evil. But when you measure yourselves by the standards of God and His holiness you'll come to realize that we, every human being, is as undeserving of God's mercy as your greatest enemy. Why is it that God saved us? Not because we're good people, but because He's a good God. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
But God loved us so much that he sent his son to to live the way we should have lived, to die the death that we deserved, to be raised from the dead three days later, making a way from death to life, and he simply calls us to repent and to place our faith in him. This is what it is that God has done for us, and we were not deserving of it. It is unspeakable grace. That's what grace is, undeserved blessing and gifts. And so anytime that we see people in our lives who are experiencing the blessing of God and the natural desire that we have is much like Jonah, we want to be angry. We need to consider our own salvation. We need to measure ourselves by the standards of God. And we need to repent of our attitudes because that anger could lead us to be like Jonah where we're blinded by the truth and we start questioning the plan of God. So as we get to pray out here, I just want us to remind us of three takeaways for today. Three takeaways for today. First, I want us to remember all human beings are made in the image of God. Every single one, even your sworn enemy. That's a human being that God created in His image that is worthy of dignity and respect. All right. Number two, meditate on the eternality of hell before complaining about God's mercy on anyone. When I say eternality, I'm just saying meditate on the fact that hell is eternal. And no matter how much you are really angry with somebody, if they don't receive the mercy of God and they don't repent of their sin, they're going to a place with no hope for all of eternity. And I don't know about you, but I don't care. My worst enemy, I don't want them to go there. Do I want them to be punished? Yeah. Do I want what's made wrong to be made right? Yeah. But do I want them to go to hell? No. Hell was not originally created for human beings. But we have to go there if we're separated from God and we haven't had redemption through the blood of Jesus because our souls are eternal. And so when we're separated from the body, our souls are going to go somewhere. And then third and finally, I know this seems obvious, but it, it bears repeating. Pray for your enemies as much as you pray for your friends. I mean, that's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.44. It is so easy to pray for our friends. I don't see many prayer requests that come in for our sworn enemies, but you know how hard it is to be angry at somebody when you're praying for them? That's one of the anecdotes to anger. When you begin to pray and ask God for help, it's amazing how God will take the anger and the emotions that you have and then tether your heart to theirs to where you want them to come to repentance and faith. I know this is, again, another heavy message. Joan is a heavy book. And we'll reach our conclusion next week. And there's just a range of human emotion that we've experienced as we read Jonah. But I want us to understand as we get ready to pray, anger can be a godly emotion. It can be. When we're angry because God's holiness has been violated and His kingdom and His will have not been done. But let us question our own hearts the next time that we get angry and ask, are we angry because of what we love or because of what God loves. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we love you. We thank you and praise you for this day that you've made. Father, I confess to you, I've been angry many days, even this week, over things that have not pleased you. And I pray that you would forgive me, and I pray that you would forgive us. Help our hearts to be tethered to you, Father. Help us to get angry over the things that you get angry over. and Help us to desire mercy to the very people that you desire to show mercy to. Help us to learn and grow from what we've learned here today. And help our hearts, Father. For we know that Jonah's heart is not made right and our hearts are not made right until you do heart surgery. So do surgery on us, Father. 
change our hearts and our minds, remove the hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh, that we will respond to the grace and mercy that you have offered through your Son, through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.